Amen. Thank you, worship team. Kids, you're dismissed up through fifth grade if you want to head out to your classrooms. For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 13. We've got three more weeks in Judges, including this week. We're going to be in chapter 13 this morning. You're going to want to have it in front of you because I'm going to try to trick you at some point. And so you're going to need to catch me when I try to trick you. And if you don't have your Bible in front of you, then you're not going to be able to do that. So make sure you have it in front of you, whether it's on your phone or on the actual book version. But turn with me to Judges chapter 13. This morning is the first of two sermons about Samson is what we'll be doing this week. And before we begin, I just want to say uh, that yesterday I had the great privilege of uh, performing Betty Dalton's funeral, and uh, it was the epitome of the verse, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And uh, was just uh, really struck by that as I was performing the funeral. And I was really, I was thinking about the song, All I Have is Christ. And we sing that. What does that mean? Like, all I have is Christ. We have a lot of things, but uh, the truth is that all that we have, all that we can take with us of eternal value of any sort in this world is Christ. There will come a day for all of us, not to be morbid here this morning, but there's going to come a day for all of us when we will pass away. And uh, the question will be, do you have Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you His? And that was the only thing that matters. And at the funeral yesterday, it was uh, certainly there was mourning and grieving her loss, but it was also a celebration because that was true of Betty, that she was in Christ. And so we're confident that she is with the Lord right now. And praise God for that hope that we have. And make sure that you're praying for the Dalton family as they navigate the days and weeks to come. But um, we just wanted to, to say that was certainly an encouragement to me um, that even in the midst of loss, we can celebrate that we have Christ. And when we have Christ, we don't need anything else. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, that's our pre-sermon sermon for this morning. Now we're going to jump into the text of the book of Judges. But first, I'm going to pray and ask that the Lord would help us. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ, His rule and reign. We will sing forever. All glory be to Christ, God. We sing that song aspirationally because we want that to be true in our hearts. Although I know in my heart it's not true, I don't give all glory to Christ. There are ways that I live for my own glory. There are ways that we do that, God. Forgive us for that. Make us, our lives, more oriented toward Christ so we can give all glory to Christ. We sing that song as an aspiration of what we want to be, but we also sing it expectantly knowing in the future that one day every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to that we say amen, all glory be to Christ indeed, God. Father, we lift up the Dalton family as they grieve and mourn Betty's loss, Lord, but we thank you that we do not grieve as those without hope. We have an unbelievable hope. We have a sure hope. It's not a hope that says, I hope this happens. It's a hope that is set before us that we know will come to pass. So, Lord, we just pray, Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly, God. Make all things new, all things right again. But until you do that, you've given us a mission 
and make Christ known from our neighbors to the nation. So empower that for that, empower us for that mission, God. And we just pray that as we look to your word in Judges chapter 13, as we talk about the gospel this morning, pray if there's anyone here who does not know that gospel, who is not currently in Christ, Lord, that they would seek you, that they would find you, they would come to you. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, I pray that you would reveal those idols in our hearts, those things that get in the way of true communion and fellowship with you, Lord, and just rip those things away. That's what sanctification is, becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. So do that, God, through our time in your word. We just need you right now to be in this place, to move in this place, to move through your word. This book, Judges, that was written so many thousands of years ago and yet is so incredibly relevant to our hearts and our lives right now, Lord. So just apply it. We thank you for your word. We ask that you'd help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was uh, growing up as a kid, my grandparents lived in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, for every year, for many years. Actually, that's where I was born. I always say I was from, I'm from Northwest Ohio. That is true, but I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then moved to Wheaton, Illinois when I was about four years old, and then uh, we moved to Northwest Ohio when I was in eighth grade, and that's where my family lives now. But my grandparents lived in Grand Rapids for many, many years until they got to the point where they just couldn't be, no other family was up there, and they just couldn't be that far away. Way, and so they moved to Archbold, Ohio, where my parents are now, and lived. they live right down the road from them right now. But some of my best memories growing up were going to visit them in Michigan uh, with, with our cousins. Uh, so it was my brother and I growing up, and then we had uh, three cousins on uh, my, my mom's sister, they had three cousins, and I was the oldest of the cousins, and so whenever we got to go visit my grandparents, it meant I got to have the privilege of sleeping on the pullout couch, which I thought was just the coolest thing, and uh, my appreciation for a pullout couch has since, uh, sofa couch has since waned since then, but at the time, I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and I got to sleep on the pullout couch in the den, and I still can like picture that room uh, like I'm standing in there right now, but they had on the bottom of the bookshelf, they there's two bookshelves on the, and the two big bookshelves, and on the bottom shelf of one of the bookshelves were all these old Charlie Brown comic books, like from the 60s, like the original ones. And I would stay up till all hours of the night. What I probably felt were all hours of the night to a seven-year-old was probably like 10 p.m. I don't know, but I'd stay up late and and read through those comic books, and I just loved it. I couldn't get enough of. Charlie Brown, and I'd always look forward to going to visit so I could read those. And I don't know if any of you uh, grew up reading those or uh, enjoy those, but the thing that, that uh, was the thing that keeps coming up in these Charlie Brown comics, right, the classic thing is that this poor old Charlie Brown, he can just never quite get what he wants. Like things never turn out well for him in the end. He always ends up as the loser of, of whatever happens. So whether it's the classic scene of kicking the football, right, where Lucy promises, I'm going to hold the football ball and you come running out and kick it and Charlie Brown says I'm not falling for that again but she always convinces him and he thinks this is the time and then what does she do every single time yanks it right out right does that or maybe when he's uh he always had these dreams of flying a kite and just seeing this kite soaring up in the air but it would always take he'd start flying the kite and the tree would just immediately eat his kite 
right away. Or the classic one where he wanted to go and uh, talk to that little redhead girl at lunch. And uh, she would uh, always uh, gear himself up and give himself these long pep talks. And then something would always foil his plans at the last minute. And he never got, got to uh, get together with that little redhead girl. But anyways, I love those old comics. And I say that because I kind of feel like the author of Judges is a little bit like Charles Schultz in that he's always giving us like this glimmer of hope that things are going to be better in the end. That like things are finally going to work out for Israel this time. Like they learned their lesson and now like there's this glimmer of hope that things are finally going to work out. And then right at the last second it's like the author just yanks that football right away. Right when we start to believe it. Right when we want to kick it. And uh, we see them fail time and time again. And we've seen that a lot as they've gone through this cycle of rebellion and repentance and repeating. Nice work on the slide there, Craig. They go through the cycle, rebel, repent, repeat. We see that time and time again. And now we're kind of at the end of Judges here, and our, we're actually at our last judge. So we're going to be talking about uh, Samson for the next two weeks. This week I'm talking about more of his origin story, and then next week Pastor David is going to go through chapters 14 to 16 and tell the story of Samson. But this is our last hope. This is our last deliverer. He is our last possible hope for Israel salvation. This is the last time that football is going to be ready for us to kick it. And spoiler alert, it's all going to go very wrong. It's all going to go wrong, and you probably know some of the story of Samson at least, and David is going to talk, walk you through that next week. But what happens this week, like I said, this is his origin story. This is how things started with Samson. And you might not be as familiar with this story as you are with the, some of the stories in his life. But what we're going to see this morning is that God is going to actually show up in a big way, in a way that we haven't really seen him yet in Judges. He shows up and he speaks clearly and we think as we read this this is finally where things are going to turn around but it's not going to happen and what we're going to see as we study the story this morning of uh, Samson's parents and how he was born and the way that God speaks and that things still clearly go wrong we're going to take some lessons for us we're going to see that God speaks clearly to us God has spoken clearly to us in his word in the gospel and yet, we still miss the point. Now, I'm not just talking about people who reject Christ outright, although certainly if you just reject Christ, you're, you miss the point of the gospel. You miss the point of who Jesus is. But I'm not talking about that even necessarily. I'm talking about people who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are in Christ. And yet we still, when we think about the gospel, when we apply it to our hearts, we can still get it wrong in many ways. And we're going to see those things play out right in front of us here in Judges chapter and so we're going to see three reasons why we keep missing the point, why we keep missing that football when we want to kick it. And we're going to see those things in the passage. And the first thing we're going to see is that we can be content in our sin. The reason we miss the point of the gospel is that we can be content in our sin. We're content, we're happy, perfectly fine with the way things are. We don't want God to come in and mess up our little idol factories in our hearts, even though it's for our good. Look at verse 1. We're going to see that in our text. 
It says this, And the people of Israel, this should sound familiar, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. This is that cycle, right? We've seen this. If this is your first time hearing this, you haven't been paying attention in Judges. This is what happens over and over again. The people of Israel, they do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. They chase after false gods. And so what does God do? He sells them into the hand of their enemies. Verse 2, Israel cried out to God, for they were greatly distressed. Is that what it says? No, it's not. I told you I was going to try to trick you, and some of you still didn't have your Bibles in front of you. It does not say that. And that is the key point that we need to understand. Because every single time God has sold Israel into the hands of their enemies up until this point, from Judges chapter 1 through Judges chapter 12, Israel has always cried out to God, and asked him to rescue them. Now last week, we saw that Israel cried out to God, but they did it for the wrong reasons, right? They did it for the wrong motivation. We talked about that idea of using God as the great vending machine in the sky where you just kind of, you don't need him unless you want something, then you just push a couple of buttons and he spits out what you want, and then you can go back to living your life the way you were before. And that's not how God is going to be treated, and that's what Israel was doing when they cried out to God last week which we saw, but you know what? At least they cried out to God. This week, what the author is showing us by leaving that part out, he's, it's very intentional. We need to see that because this is the first time that Israel has not cried out to God when they've been delivered into the hands of their enemies. And you know what? Of all the sad things we've read in Judges, I think this is probably the saddest like we've talked about ad nauseum, this line graph of judges that starts up here, it ends all the way down there, and it kind of goes up and down, but it's trending downward. We're getting pretty close to the low point here. We're not all the way to the low point. That's going to be in a couple weeks, but we're getting pretty close. God's chosen people, the ones that God has delivered over and over and over again and been faithful and his promises have come true. God's chosen people have been captured by an enemy and they are perfectly content to stay exactly where they are. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is that exact question. Am I content to stay exactly where I am? Am I content in my sin? And if so, that is a scary and dangerous place to be, church. It's one thing to be battling sin and failing over and over and over again. That's one thing. But to give up the fight, to stay where you are, to stay content in your sin, to resign yourself to say, this is just how it's going to be. I've tried to fight. It's not going to happen. Don't stay there. What are you doing when you do that? What you're saying is God is not big enough. God is not strong enough. God is not powerful enough to release me from this bondage. And church, that's not true. That is not true. He is powerful enough. And so if you're there this morning, this might just be the message you need to hear, like, and this might be all you need to hear this morning. Don't stay where you are. Don't give up. Don't stay there. Don't be content like Israel was to just say, I guess this is gonna, how it's going to be. I'm just going to make the most of it. No. We have the Spirit 
God has given us everything that we need to fight. God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. He promises us that in his word. So don't be in this sad and scary place like Israel is. They missed the, God, they missed the point of, the, of what God was saying to them because they weren't even seeking the Lord to begin with. Not even for bad reasons. Not even with wrong motivations. They just simply were content to stay oppressed by the Philistines. Church, if that's you, don't stay there. We miss the point of the gospel when we forget that God is calling us to be Christ-like and he's making us like Christ. And we miss it when we say, I, just, I guess this is just how it's going to be. Don't stay there. That's the first way we miss the point of the gospel. The second way we miss the point of the gospel is that we want more rules. We want more rules. We've talked a lot about what the text hasn't said so far. We should probably talk about what the text does say. So look at verse 2. We're going to see what Manoah does here. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you are barren and have not born children but you shall conceive and bear a son. This is great news, right? This should remind us of other passages in Scripture, right? Like Abraham and Sarah, where the angel comes and says that you've not been able to conceive, but behold, you're going to bear a son. Somebody else was born miraculously, you might remember. His name was Jesus. The angel came and said, you are going to bear a son. So this is like following the pattern of miraculous births in Scripture. But this is good news. This means God is still at work. God is still moving. Even though his people are not seeking him anymore, thank goodness that God doesn't let them stay there. Amen? So God is moving and working and says you're going to have a son. And it's not just any son. God has a special plan for this son. And so he gives Manoah's wife, who we never learn her name, interestingly, but he gives her some, some uh, special instructions. Look at verse 4. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So what the angel says is that he's going to take on this thing, it's called a Nazarite vow. And this is something that I believe is in Numbers chapter 6. And uh, it was this vow that people would take for a certain time when they like really wanted to be devoted to God for one reason or another. And so they wouldn't cut their hair and they wouldn't touch any dead animals. And I think if I remember correctly, when I was in college, there was like at Taylor, there was a group of guys that said, we're going to be the Nazarites and take on the Nazarite vow. And they like didn't cut their hair for a year or something. I don't know what they were doing. But uh, anyways, that's what happens. That's what the angel is talking about about here and um, this vow that you would take on was something that you do it voluntarily for a certain period of time you say I'm going to take on the Nazarite vow but what the angel is telling Manoah's wife here Samson's mom is that this baby is going to be a Nazarite from birth it's not going to be voluntary and that this baby is going to be a Nazarite for his whole life it's not going to be temporary so this child is taking this vow that sets you apart for a certain time and it's, it's saying that he's going to be set apart for his entire life in a very special and unique way that's what the author is showing us that this child is set apart 
And that's the instruction that the angel gives Manoah's wife, that she's going to have this child, and so she had to do these things. And so she goes and gives the news to her husband, and her husband doesn't, like, uh, to his credit, he believes her. He doesn't say, like, oh, you just had some, like, bad lentil stew last night and you had a weird dream. Like, there's no way, like, that can't be true. Like, he believes her, but he wants to have this interaction with the angel for himself. So he says, look at verse 8. O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again. I want to see this man again, this angel. And teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Now that's interesting because it already said what they were supposed to do with the child that had been born, right? That wasn't enough. Manoah and saying God please like come back and give me like more instruction for this baby and so God answers the prayer but instead of appearing to Manoah he goes to the wife again so she runs to get him and then Manoah asks the angel are you the man who spoke to this woman and he replies I am verse 12 and Manoah said now when your words come true what is to be the child's manner of life? Or what is to be the rule for this child in another translation? And what is his mission? So what's he going to do? And what are like the rules that we need to keep for this child? What rules, since this child is going to be special, what are like the extra special things that I need to do to make sure that this child is uh, set apart according to God? But the angel doesn't give in. Look at his response, verse 13. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Saying, I already told you. Like, that's it. I don't know why you need any more. The angel told Manoah that his son would be devoted to God. And Manoah says, okay, but what are the rules? Like, give me some more stuff to do. And the angel says, no, essentially. And I think, like, deep down, you have to go with me on this. You have to think with me on this. I think deep down, we all have a tendency to want to relate to God in that same way. Like, I wonder, like, if I could trade God's word for, like, a personalized instruction sheet of things to just, like, check off each day to know that I've done the right thing. Like, would I make that trade? I think deep down we all kind of have that tendency to want to know that we're in right standing with God and the way that we want to come about being in right standing with God is by the things that we do and the things that we check off the list. Now, it's, we do this based on our personalities in different ways. Like how many of you are the rule followers? Raise your hand if you're the rule follower. We got a, a, some of you. This will tell us a lot about our church. How many of you are the rule breakers? Raise your hand. And... Uh, very few of you willing to raise your hands for that. How many of you didn't raise your hand at all? Raise your hand now. Okay, it's a good chunk of you. Some of you spouses are elbowing each other. So I think this comes about in different ways. Like sometimes, we, some people, you want other people to give you the things to do so that you can know that you're doing the right thing. Others of you are like, I don't want other people to tell me what to do, but I want to tell myself what to do. I want to make the rules so that way I can know that I'm doing the right thing. So even though it comes about differently in our personalities, the root of it is the same in our hearts, which is that we want to relate to God on our own terms. On our own terms. You see that? The angel is just pouring out his grace on Manoah and his wife. 
Doesn't, we don't learn anything special about them, any reason why they would be the ones who would raise the deliverer, who would be able to give birth to the son after they hadn't been able to have a child. If you've ever dealt with infertility, you know the pain of that. And so now the angel says, you're going to have a baby. And what incredible news. And this baby is going to be used for Israel's deliverance. This is amazing. And what Manoah says is, but what do you want me to do? And how often do we relate to God in the same way? God, okay, yeah, this, the, like, thank you for Jesus. But I know, like, there's got to be more that I've got to do. That's not the gospel, church. It's not the gospel. What happens when we boil our faith down to just following a bunch of rules? When we become just like the Pharisees bunch of self-righteous jerks who made sure to live out their righteousness in public while their inner hearts and selves were wasting away. This is not how we're called to relate to God. Like, what if I asked you, hey, how's, how's things going with your kids? How's your relationship with your kids? And you're like, oh, it's going great. Every, every morning I just lay out a checklist of things for them to do, and every day they do those things and check it off the list, and we don't even have to talk. Like, it's just fantastic. Like, I, I don't even remember the last time I actually spoke to them. I haven't needed to because they do all the things I need them to do. It's not a relationship. You think God wants to relate to you that way? No. He's our good Father. He's our heavenly Father. So we need to be careful because we all have this tendency to boil our faith down to this. In fact, you might have noticed, and we were talking about this in our staff meeting last week, like I'm pretty careful about this even in my preaching. Like unless scripture is giving us like a clear action step of like a thing to do, I don't very often tell you like do this thing this week. And, and there's a reason for that is because there's a big difference between saying like, Pastor Mike told me to do this and I did it this week and look at me. Or, Pastor Mike told me to do this and I failed and I'm a failure. Like, there's a difference between that and God is changing my heart. And because I'm in Christ the Spirit is revealing the things that I need to change in my behavior. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me saying that like I'm not called to change things that I do. I'm saying that's the Spirit working in our hearts. And I want you to apply the word to your heart so that you can know what the Spirit is calling you to do. There's a huge difference between that, but I think deep down we all have this tendency to miss the gospel because just like Manoah, it's like, all right, Jesus died for me to, to save my sins. All right, what are the rules now so I can stay in that? It's not about keeping a list of rules. Praise the Lord for that. That's the second way that we miss the point of the gospel. And here's the third, and it really goes hand in hand. The third is that we want to earn it. We want to earn it. Look at verse 15. And I'll read down to verse 25 and see what happens at the end of the story. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you. Weird word. I don't know why it says detain, but it does. Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. We want, hey, we want to feed you a meal. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I'm not going to eat. You can have me over for supper, but I'm not eating anything. That's a, a strange way to respond to somebody's request to have you for dinner. But he's not going to put himself in the debt of Manoah. Do you see? That's what's happening here. The angel says, I'm not going to put myself in your debt at all. If you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. 
for Manoah did not know he was an angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, well, what's your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? At least tell me who you are. If you're not going to let me pay you back with a meal, at least tell me your name so that we can go and tell a bunch of people how great you are. And the angel said, wouldn't even give in to that. He said, why do you ask my name, seeing that it's wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. When the flame went up to heaven from the altar, this is crazy, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground, which is exactly what you would have done if you'd have seen that happen. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And then this, this is great. This is like a little marriage moment that takes place in our text. Verse 22. Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. And that was true. The Bible says, if you see God, you're going to die. So Manoah says, oh my goodness, that was God. He's like piecing it together. He didn't realize, the text tells us he didn't realize it was God before. So he's like piecing it together in his head. Like, oh my goodness, that was God. That means we saw God. That means we're going to die. And his wife is like just the picture of just like calm, collected thinking. She's like, what are you talking about? He said we're going to have a baby. How would we die if we're going to have a baby? And I think that calms him down. And so this is just a side note, which is praise the Lord for spouses who uh, can have a clear head and level thinking when you do not. Amen? That amen wasn't loud enough. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Verse 24. The woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And thus Samson was born. So the angel meets with Manoah and his wife. Manoah says, what are the rules? Just give me the rules. Just tell me what to do. The angel says, I'm not going to give you any more rules. So Manoah says, okay, well, how can I pay you back? Like, what can I give you? What do I have? What can I give you? The angel says, you're not going to pay me nothing. Why? Because Manoah wants to feel like he's contributing something in some way. And the angel says, no, I am pouring out my grace. And do we not respond to the gospel in our hearts in the very same way? We want to pay something back. We want to contribute. We want to feel like God made the right decision saving me because of this thing that I can give to God. Why did God save me? Because I can give this to God. No. No. That's not the gospel. This is, this is, and providentially, there's no accidents in God's economy. But as I was, I was preparing my sermon this week, and I sometimes go off-site for a day to prepare my sermon. And this week, I was at a park outside in Carmel, and there was this, these kids around. It, they were all wearing T-shirts for something called Kindness Camp. I'd never heard of Kindness Camp, but it seemed like a, a neat thing that they were doing. And what these kids, they had this big thing of lemonade, and they had all, it was really cute. They had all these handmade signs. They said, free lemonade, and they were just walking around trying to give everybody free lemonade and uh, there's this guy kind of sitting at this table next to me and the kids went up to him and said do you want any free lemonade and he said oh I'll, I'll pay you for it and they're like 
well, no, it's, it's free. We can't take your money. He's, oh, no, I'm going to give you something. And he's pulling out of his wallet like he's get, trying to give them money. And they're like, like, no, we can't take your money. And there's just like this negotiation going back and forth between this guy and these seven-year-olds. But like he just couldn't get in his head that the whole point was that they were giving away free lemonade. And I'm sitting there preparing my sermon, talking about how we want to pay, thinking about how we want to pay God back for the gospel. And man, what a perfect illustration of that in our hearts. We want to earn it. What do you mean it's free? What do you mean I can't pay you back, God? It's mind-boggling. It's impossible to comprehend, but it's true. We can't earn it, but we try, don't we? We try. Again, just think about, think about parenting Do you want your kid to just always feel like he's earning your love? Like, is that the relationship that you want? No. So why would you think that God wants that kind of relationship with you? God is pouring out his grace upon you. And it's free. Our hearts respond to that and our sin as well. I got to give you something, God, just to pay you back for this. But the answer is that we give God nothing. We talk about that a lot. We can't give God anything because he has everything. We can't give him anything that he doesn't already have. Manoah missed the point when the angel came and told him that they were going to be raising this deliverer. And we can miss the point of the gospel as well. So these things we've talked about are not the gospel. Staying content in our sin, wanting more rules, wanting to earn it. That is not the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus and if you felt like this has just all just been a mess, trying and striving. Maybe it's because you have this wrong idea of who Jesus is. This is not the gospel. And as we close, if this is not the gospel, we need to talk about, well, what is the gospel? And there's the exact opposite of these three things. The first is that God came to us when we were content in our sin. Just like the tragedy of Israel no longer crying out to God when they were in the hands of the Philistines. This is exactly how God came to us. And there's a great song called, Oh Great God. And the lyrics talk about that. It says, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice. I did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. You might not remember that time in your life, or you might vividly remember that time in your life. But apart from Christ, that is exactly how you were. I was blinded by my sin, no ears to hear your voice, didn't know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys you might have a loved one a family member a relative a dear friend who doesn't know the lord and you just might be exactly describe where they are so what do you do you pray that god works in their heart because the next lines go like this then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son gave me endless hope and peace so what's your hope For those who don't know the Lord, that the Spirit would give them life and open up the word to them. Because apart from that, we're blind. And that's the gospel. When the Spirit first speaks into your life, he's speaking into a dead heart. Romans 5 says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, that's where we were. 
just like Israel. Second, God didn't give us rules, but a relationship. He gave us a new relationship. Every other religion in the world pretty much gives you a set of rules and says, follow these if you want to be saved. Do these things. But Jesus says, you can follow these things because you're saved. I'm going to say that again. Every other religion in the world says, if, if you do these things, you can be saved. And Jesus flips that entirely on its head and says, you can live this way only because you are saved. And so if we're looking for rules, we're looking for the wrong thing. Because you've been saved, because you have a new heart, because I've given you my spirit, now you can live in a way that honors me. And our natural hearts want to say, if I want God to be pleased with me, if I want him to love me, if I want him to be happy with me, then I better do these things. But our new hearts in Christ flip that. We say, because God loves me and is pleased with me, now I want to do these things to honor him. This is amazing. God doesn't relate to us with a list of rules. He wants relationship. He wants closeness. He wants intimacy. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. Praise God that Jesus didn't come just with a whole new set of rules. He came to fulfill the law so that in him we might have the righteousness of Christ. Third, God doesn't call us to earn it. He calls us to believe. We so desperately want to feel like we're contributing something to our salvation, like that guy who just so desperately wanted to give a couple of bucks to those kids with the lemonade. And we miss the point when we think that it's something that we earn. We don't. It's a free gift from God. It's not by works, lest no man should boast. And yet, it's not a cheap salvation, okay? And this is, I want to close with this point. It's not a cheap salvation, right? This one used to always drive me crazy, especially as I was growing up and trying to understand what a relationship with the Lord looked like. And I remember just wrestling with this in high school, like just like reading in the Gospels about what Jesus calls us to in the life of following him and then hearing other people say like, oh, you just, you just pray this prayer and, and you're good, that's it. That's not it. <laughs> Following Jesus is not easy. It's hard. And it's a lifetime of seeking after him. But it's not something we earn. It is the pearl of great price, right? That we would find this pearl in a field and we would say, I'm going to go sell everything that I have because all that I have is worthless. It's rubbish compared to that field, compared to that pearl, compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need that. So God's not calling you to just come to church and pray the prayer and then don't think too much about it or you might lose your faith because God can't stand up to scrutiny. No, God calls you to a life of seeking him, of being devoted to him, of following him. He says, come to me, come, move from where you are to where I am. And when you come and when you submit yourself to me, you will find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise the Lord. You have to submit to it. It's not an earning that yoke. It's a submission to it. It's a moving to Christ, to the cross, to lay down your burden and pick up his yoke, which is easy, and his burden is light. Follow me, Jesus says. 
Believe in the gospel. Don't stay stuck in your sin and just say, this is how it's going to be. Church, don't stay there. Don't doubt God's power in your life. Don't stay there. Don't stay stuck in your sin. Don't try to add a bunch of rules and don't try to earn it. Praise God that the gospel that we believe is so much greater than that. Amen? Amen. Submit to me, Jesus says. Follow me. Believe. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel That you would just struggle to even put into words the goodness, the beauty, the joy of following Jesus. God, the purpose that it gives our lives. There is no way to find a true purpose apart from following Jesus. No, you call us to the restoration of all things in preparation for Jesus as he comes back and restores everything, makes all things new, and gives us hope. Hope that when we say goodbye to loved ones, that we're not saying goodbye forever. If they're in Christ, we'll spend eternity, we'll spend eternity with you. So God, give us that longing. Lord, help us to see these blind spots that we might have to the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone just feeling stuck in sin this morning, I just pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, release them. Move in them, work in them. Just, they would just feel that just break, that just desire is just gone. Just rip it from them, God. Lord, if there's anyone just trying to relate to you just by the checklist of rules, or by trying to earn, somehow pay you back for the salvation. Lord, I pray that you would show us those places in our hearts and give us right relationship with you. As we place ourselves under the yoke of Christ, that we would find it to be easy and the burden to be light. And we thank you for that, God. How vast the love of Jesus indeed. So vast that we need to sing for eternity properly give you glory. We thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.